Welcome to the Informed Idiots podcast, a new series by teenagers for teenagers. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the Georgia special election happening tomorrow, January 5th. This, this podcast is going to be separated in two portions. So in the first half, we're going to talk about why this election matters so much, what it means for the Biden presidency, and how different outcomes could shape the U.S. and the world going forward. And uh, in the second part, we're going to run through the candidates, talk about their backgrounds, political experience, and then offer our opinions as to tomorrow's results and why, what, which candidates we're backing and for what reasons. So on that note, Sage, you want to start us off as to why this election matters so much? Yeah, sure. And like, so Georgia really isn't on a, on a national scale, hasn't been really in the spotlight for that long until this year. I mean, it's been a historically red state in presidential elections. It really hasn't meant much because they've voted red for the past three decades or so. And, you know, like it really, it's, it's a state that you regard as one of America's like states, but you don't regard, regard it as like a California or New York or that type of thing. So it's really rare that we're seeing Georgia in like the limelight a lot. And the election matters so much. Like you turn on any national television show and you will see Georgia on the front cover. I mean, there's nothing about it. It'll be always about Georgia's runoffs, Georgia's Senate, or, or even if Trump's calling out Georgia's election officials for um, their voting. And the election matters a lot because it, it potentially decides who can control the Senate in, in Washington, D.C. And it's possibly up to the, de- it's all up to the Democrats. They got to have a clean sweep on both, se- both, both elections to be able to gain control of the Senate, or at least take it to a 50-50, which then means the vice president votes, which means a 51-50, therefore giving Democrats the majority. And they have a majority in the House. They won the presidency, as we all know. And I think this would be a really important next step in it. I agree. I mean, looking just looking at the special election, the numbers are just crazy. We've seen candidates, both Democratic candidates, have raised north of $100 million each in funding in the last two months, which is a new campaign record for senatorial elections, especially for, sen- for special elections. So we're seeing, and on top of that, we saw the Republican Party put $180.5 million into TV ads in the last month and a half alone. So this is clearly a very significant election for many reasons within the within the American geopolitical landscape. Yeah, definitely. I think it I also mean, for the Biden presidency, this will be the first big test that we saw. I mean, you were talking about how in the past Georgia hasn't really been a significant state. It's not it's not traditionally a swing state. But we saw in the in the twenty twenty presidential elections, we saw states that we never expected ten year ten ten to fifteen years ago that would swing. We saw Arizona go blue. We saw, I mean, Texas was too close to call for a good two hours. And I, yeah, mean, I mean, yeah, pre-polling showed that Texas was even was even on the side of Biden's. And, you know, North Carolina, although um, Trump took it by a fairly comfortable low okay margin, um, it's still crazy that that one came down to the wire, too, which is not, although you got Charlotte and you got a few Democratic, um, you've got around a good majority of Democrats in that in that con- in that um, state. You don't really think of it immediately as this could be a pretty solid Democratic win. So, yeah, it's the American political landscape with the amount of immigrants coming in from 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 Mexico, from all across the world, and most of them, most most immigrants tend to vote blue, and um, it's just it's just a pattern that keeps happening. And next election, we may see Texas go blue, and a lot of a lot of political um, analysts are predicting that. Yeah, I mean, just on talk, just talking about this specific special election, we had some early turnout numbers that show that thirty-one percent of the voters so far of, are of African American descent, and that's significant because it's a much higher share than what we saw at this point in the general election in Georgia in in November. So I mean, this is already it's a significant increase. And that's on top of a historic turnout in Georgia and across the United States. So um, I think we should shift to what this what this really means to the Biden presidency, and how as a result of that, how it could impact America and the world going forward. You know, Biden's pulled off an absolute miracle win in the presidency itself. I mean, when you look back to last year during March, or um, not even, um, when in, tw- in 2019, and when Biden was in the lead of the polls by more than 20 points on any candidate, which I th- believe at the time was leading, who was leading was Bernie Sanders. 
And when it got to Iowa, just something just happened. I mean, I believe Bernie Sanders and Pete Buttigieg carried that tied tied in that state for this for um for for uh the nomination. But like a a vice president who you would think who who has decades of experience in the Senate, who you would think would be the clear choice, just seemed to fall behind. And then, and then after that, when they went through the first few states, New Hampshire, Nevada, they Biden was still lagging, lagging behind, and they're just like, and pundits already seem to point it out as a sign of failure for the Biden campaign. And then it got to South Carolina, I believe it was, and Biden struck back with his like thirty point margin or something to Bernie Sanders, and that was crazy. And from that point on, after Super Tuesday and all of that stuff, Biden came out on top, and. His presidential run wasn't easy either. I mean, the polls overestimated yet again for a Democratic victory. I mean, yeah, I mean, 538 was reading. It was, they were saying it was a landslide. They had Texas going blue and I think 75 out of 100 of their predictions. Yeah, and I and I believe like they they pointed at, uh, yeah, like 75 out of 100. You'd easily bet it. And I was so confident on Election Day that it would it would go blue. Thankfully, it did. Um, but that was absolutely crazy to see how close it came and so this george this this george these georgia senate seats i mean in a time where um where uh bipartisan bipartisan partnership is basically non-existent it's incredibly important that the democrats win these two seats i mean um they've got control of the presidency and they've got control of the house and mitch mcconnell has already come out and said that he will be the grim reaper and he will block whatever bill um, Biden tries to put through. I mean, Biden wants to put through a large coronavirus stimulus bill. I mean, in a Republican-controlled Senate, that's not very likely, and that'll probably re- probably result in a smaller version of that bill. And it goes with a lot of things that the Biden can- Biden presidency really wants to pass through. And the- these two seats, although are not the definite answer to if these bills can pass through, is definitely a very important one. Yeah, I agree with you for sure. I mean, we saw like, I think a lot of the thing on election day where people were surprised is even though we heard going into the election, we heard we're not going to know the exact results on election night. It's going to take a couple of days. I think people still really just, they felt that because it was election day, we were going to know the results by 12 o'clock that night. And so I think a lot of us got into the mindset that because the results didn't come out, it wasn't going to be a victory for Biden. So I think it was, it was also in due to a mindset where we were certain and it just didn't flip our way in the moment so yeah i mean i think also so going for looking forward as to what this like what this could mean for the biden presidency having majority control in the legislative branch will grant the biden administration a much much easier path to push through with democratic legis democrat sorry democratic legislature supreme court appointments and confirmation of administration members all of which we've seen I mean, we've seen Trump pass a lot of legislation through thanks to Republican majorities in, I believe, the Senate. Sorry, no, in the House, my bad. So, I mean, in my personal opinion, having the Senate, the House, and the presidency all be of a single party isn't the best idea just because it really, it limits who's keeping who in check as everyone seems to be of one party. But I think it'll be less so because we'll see Republican, a Republican, even with a Republican minor, minority, Mitt Romney, Lisa Murkowski, Susan Collins. And I mean, within that Democratic majority, we also have two independents, which could swing either way. So, I mean, even if it is a Democratic majority, we could very well see some cases fall to the Republican side, even if they're the minority. Yeah, that's that's fair. And like the narrowness of the margin of a 50-50 will ensure that like certain laws will be supported by other centrists like Joe Manchin or the Arizona senators who have been recently elected. I mean, um, in recent times, we've really seen how important a majority in the House and the Senate is. I mean, in Obama's um, first few years as president, he was able to pass the Affordable Care Act. And right after that, when in the midterms, when um, the Republicans, I believe, won over the Senate, um, President Obama wasn't really able to do anything. I mean, immigration reform didn't pass. Um, um, an add-on to the Affordable Care Act really didn't pass, and nothing else really went through. And then President Trump got elected, and he had a he had a um, a House majority and a Senate majority, and he was able to pass through a lot of stuff, like his travel ban, you know, and and 
as soon as the midterms came in 2018, when um, the Democrats did the House, there really wasn't... I mean, Trump's border wall didn't pass, his immigration, his own version of immigration reform didn't pass, and a lot of... And there went his presidency, too. So I feel like it's really, really important these days it, um, who has control of the Capitol building, really. Yeah, and I mean, it seems to be, it seems to be kind of becoming a cycle, right? Where the presidency, you're really enable, you're really able to enact legislative change for the first two years before you get. I mean, in 2016, we saw sorry, in 2018, we saw such an overwhelming turnout at the midterms on, on a historical level, right? Because of people's discontent with President, the way President Trump had been had been managing the just the U.S. economy, and I mean. If this is a, if this is to become a cycle, it'll be really interesting to see what going forward the U.S. will be able to do to mitigate this because it's basically becoming a two-year president, two an effective two-year presidency with two years where you can struggle to pass through legislation afterwards. Yeah, so yeah. that that'll be interesting. But I mean, speaking about passing through legislation, leg- legislature. So far, 12 Republican, uh, 12 Republican senators and 140 Republican members of the House have said that they plan to vote against certifying the results of the Electoral College, which, first of all, I mean, there's no chance of that happening. It's the Electoral College. It's one of the hallmarks of democracy. So it's not going to get overturned. And that's not a significant enough member. But the irony is that those members, some of them are newly elected for 2020. And they're basically saying, well, we like we we don't support parts of the same ballot that got us elected. So because that ballot might've voted for Biden, but they supported us on it too, we're willing to disqualify that, but we like the part where they support us. So I find that slightly ironic. And I mean, I think this is in order to curry favor with the sitting president as they, I think going forward, they believe his endorsement will have weight in elections. I mean, he is a U.S. president at the end of the day, no matter what he does, but Honestly, I believe it's a worrying sight that where, you know, America is one of the world's. uh, I was recently reading President Barack Obama's book that was published this year. And, you know, he wrote that that um, the United States is like a experiment to the entire world. It's a really, really pure, pure democracy within itself. And it's one of the one of these scientific experiments in a way towards the rest of the world to show how democracy can work and. It was it was really worrying this year to see that somewhat erode away because due due to one man's actions and you know also I've even came out himself a Georgia um, Senate candidate and even said that he was really that he came out to run because he was afraid of President Trump's Trump's actions and it even though it's only 12, 12, 11 or twelve senators and even though it's only a handful of members within the House majority and it's it's just worrying to see that. The possibility of um, America of, of um, people in power are willing to listen to just one man, and how they're willing to erode everything the country is really about. It's just a, it's just a worrying sight, and I'm really glad that Trump does not have four more years in office because after seeing how he handles these election results um, in 2020, it's really I would not want to have him as the pillar or the symbol of democracy. Yeah, I mean, we're now in January, and he still refused to acknowledge or concede. I mean, Mitch McConnell, the ranking Republican on the Hill, has done it, but the president seems to just... I mean, we've had for four years a man who blatantly dis, doesn't under, seem to grasp what the Constitution entails or how it's supposed to protect the American citizens. And I mean, he's really... I agree with you. He has tried to erode confidence in democracy, and I think what this election cycle has really shown us is how fragile, like how fragile our democracy is. Because with one man, like, I mean, he's bullying US senators and like secretaries of defense. I mean, the turnover rate within his cabinet is just metaphysical. And the fact that, I mean, US senators falling in line after this guy, I mean, they're US senators. They're supposed to be like leaders within our community and they're falling in line so they can listen to this one man rave on and on and on about voter fraud and they'll stand behind him and support it because they think that they'll 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 my bad they'll their constituents will won't back them if they don't fall in line with this man so yeah and i'm and it's yeah and 
There's also one thing I remember Mitt Romney, who is a guy I've come to respect a lot within the past few years. I don't necessarily agree with everything he says, and I sure as hell didn't like him in 2012, but um, he, used, he I remember him once saying that he thought his party really believed in the person and the and um the person who was who was running his party or the person who was in charge and the type of person he was and you know with Trump's um sexual scandals with everything he said you know with his public figure and his public actions you you'd never think this guy would be able to run for president and somehow he's managed to not only run for president win and also gain a lot of loyal members within the within within um Washington DC so yeah, it's just a worrying sight, and um, the Biden presidency means a new future for America and a po- the possibility of having democracy restored, I believe. Yeah, I mean, Trump is really, he's changed the Republican. He hasn't, I mean, his values don't line up with Republican values, in my opinion. I mean, I consider myself to be a moderate Republican who's fiscally conservative but socially liberal, and I just feel like Donald Trump's re- concept of the Republican Party is so far right. And I mean, also, he's not even like, he's not a far right. Donald Trump is not a far right member. He's a member of whatever he thinks will make him the most popular that week. So we saw just a couple weeks ago with the stimulus checks, right? We saw Donald Trump shift to the 2000 to, he said he wouldn't, he'd veto the bill unless the, um, the stimulus check was raised from 600 to $2,000. Now, the U.S. is, I believe, I read an article the other day, the U.S.'s current um, debt to GDP is nearly, the GD, our, the national debt is nearly 100% of our nationwide GDP. So we have a president who clearly disregards the financials of America, the financial status of America, and just seems to do whatever the hell he wants. And he's created a Republican Party where you either get behind him or you get out. I mean, we saw, you see, you either get his endorsement or we've seen Republican candidates just fall because they seem to want, they want to stand up to President Trump and then just get primaried. Yeah, you know, Mitt Romney is another guy I point to on this. I mean, he's really been sidelined by a party that was once his just a few years ago. And it it just goes to show that he's radically changed everything in DC and a lot of, and, you know, not only has have his actions affected people in DC, it's also affected Georgia. And we're talking a lot about President Trump for a reason. It's because that, like, honestly, a rep- uh, if if tomorrow turns out to be a Republican loss, it's really likely that a lot of a lot of his all of the faults may link back to President Trump. I mean, I mean, he threw Mitch McConnell under the bus yet again, pointing to Democrat voters to vote for all, vote for the Democratic president uh, Democratic candidates because. I mean, even the president's supporting $2,000 checks. I mean, he's gone against his party. He's just willing to go against whatever's making him popular. I mean, by, by uh, you know, Trump Trump has a certain amount of claim if, if the Republicans lose tomorrow. I mean, he's the first Republican to lose in Georgia on a statewide level for 28 years. I mean, he attacked Georgia's election officials, and he's constantly stayed within the headlines of a state that's rapidly shifting towards the blue side and so it's, it most likely will be his fault tomorrow if it, it will it will be partially his fault if we if the republicans do lose yeah and i mean looking like just this week we have a new scandal of president trump where i mean he's attacking georgia's election officials and i mean look at the dynamics here he's asking the federal the election committee in georgia so let's look at look at the dynamic of this right it's a white president who's trying to invalidate the votes of minorities in city centers like Atlanta. That that can't end well for anyone, right? I mean, you have a president who's very clearly dividing the nation through this. So he's saying that he, he's really saying that these people's votes aren't as valuable as the rest of the nation's votes. And for a president of the United States, that isn't an action that's, that's becoming of him. Yeah, definitely. I mean, even today, he literally just went to Georgia's, I mean, he went to the Secretary of State, and he just told them, find 11,000 votes to overturn the election. And even though the state's being recounted three times over the past few months, he's still active for these things. And so it's just, it's just outright, like, 
it's just absolutely crazy what what he's been what he's been doing and it's probably one of the reasons why Georgians are voting in incredible numbers on for Wednesday for Tuesday to come yeah uh I think we should talk about what we can expect from the this administration if we do see a Democrat win or what will happen if we see a Republican win you want to start us off with the Democrat or the Republicans yeah, I'll talk about a Democrat win. I mean, it won't necessarily mean that, you know, everything everything Joe Biden's fighting for will pass through. I mean, it's not like his sweeping, it's not like he'll be able to um, make his sweeping, sweeping uh, type of legislation that he's looking to, like in, like a complete change in the environment, complete an adding on to Affordable Health Act, Affordable Care Act, sorry. And the, just the rapid change in economy that, Democrats tend to always point to every every single election cycle and tend to always work work towards and write on their campaign websites despite most despite most people knowing that it's not physically possible like Puerto Rico or Washington DC statehood. I mean, it's not like the entire political landscape is going to completely change these two seats are 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 on are on the Democrat side, but it'll definitely have a massive impact. I mean, yeah, no, I mean, um, you'll, you'll see, like, I mean, politicians, they make campaign promises that you can't follow through on, like, Puerto Rican statehood and Washington, D.C. statehood. I mean, they've been, they've been in the pipelines for decades now. And I mean, every candidate, like, going back 20 years has had, every, most candidates on one side or the other have had some kind of policy saying, like, I'm going to make Puerto Rico a state or I'm going to make D.C. a state, but it hasn't happened yet. So, I mean, while we do see these kinds of false promises, we have to really look at what Biden has said that he wants to do that seems to be more reasonable. So, I mean, like we, he said during campaigns, hold on one sec. Um, so he's in the past proposed raising the, corp, raising the corporate tax rate for, to 28 from 21% and spending two trillion on infrastructure. So that would result in significant tax hikes for the American people, right? At a time where, well, frankly, a lot of people can't afford a tax rate, tax hike like that. And we're still proposing stimulus checks. I mean, Donald Trump seems to think that the U.S. could just print money out of thin air and make it be worth something. I mean, we saw after World War II, we saw, sorry, no, after World War I, we saw Germany do that and just print money to the point where they just had no value. And the U.S. being an economy of 300 and something million people, we can't afford to do that. So we need we need to find a reasonable balance that isn't just giving everyone a two thousand dollar check because, frankly, we don't have that kind of money to spend. Or we need to find places to take that money from, like President Trump's outrageous spending on the defense budget. Yeah, and I feel like that's definitely something that the next presidency is definitely looking and to look at, but. We gotta always keep in mind that the filibuster exists. Miss M- Mitch McConnell's still on the hill, and although some sort of um few more centrist agendas will be able to be debated on the on the Senate floor and to be looked at and to be voted voted upon, is um it's it's not going to be completely sweeping and completely changing for America's political landscape. I think you'd agree with that. Yeah, and I think also if he does. If he was to go down the route of incredible, incredibly high tax hikes, right, we'd see him get primaried in the midterms, and then he'd have two years of being able to do absolutely nothing. Because if the American people are taxed at a rate, let's say, twenty percent higher than it currently is, then we're going to see outrage, and I, pre- I would predict another record turnout at the polls in twenty twenty two. Yeah, and just a. Just a side note, do you think Joe Biden is going to run in 2024? Or do you think it's going to be... Going to hand the reins off I, to, I mean, uh, no president, I can't call a president in recent history that hasn't run outside of external factors. So like, if his mental or physical health has deteriorated, I mean, the presidency is a very taxing role, right? So, I mean, if his mental or physical health has deteriorated to the point where he sees that he's not ready to run again, like he won't be able to lead the country, then no. But I see in no other scenario. I mean, once you have a hold on power, why would you just willingly let go of that power without a fight, right? I, yeah. I'd be willing to bet that he definitively runs in 2024 unless he has some kind of physical or mental issue, I guess is the right word. Yeah, that's really fair. But uh, yeah, 
Um, he's gonna be eighty two. You know, he's picked Kalma Harris, who, honestly, out of the entire Republican, out of the entire Democrat Party, would be, would probably be my my next pick for president. Um, I mean, I think it takes Kamala a certain Harris, point. You know, yeah, I think already, Harris was also the right pick for vice president because I don't think Biden. Biden's a strong enough president where he'd go after the Trump family in the courts. And I think Kamala Harris is the right selection to do that because she'll, she has a track record of going like she'll enforce, she'll enforce the law and she'll see the Southern district of New York does a thorough audit of Trump's taxes and tries him for all this, I guess, misdemeanors is the right word. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah, that's completely fair. You also needed from the black Lives matter movement. I mean, he, he definitely needed for the support of Southern voters, which is probably why Georgia's turned out this way. He needed he needed a person of color. He yeah, needed someone... A minority vote, and Kamala Harris helps yeah. him get that because at the end of the day, Joe Biden is still an old white man. And so That's it's everything, yeah. Everything, everything young Americans stand for, yeah. you know? Exactly. So you have, on one hand, you had an old, lecherous white man with sexual harassment convictions behind him, right? with a younger white man who's just incredibly religious and speaks to the far right. I mean, with with Pence, Trump is really trying to get the ultra, like the hyper-conservative, hyper-religious vote, right? So Mike Pence gets that. And I, I'm honestly thankful that Trump didn't get impeached because Mike Pence would have been horrendous with the COVID pandemic and as a president. I mean, just looking at his handling of the HIV AIDS pen epidemic in Indiana when he was governor. I mean, I just, I would be genuinely scared for my life if Mike Pence was our president. Yeah. And, and like, I remember right reading now, at the time, a lot of people who would be a lot more afraid of him than me. Yeah. I remember reading at the time that um, Pence would probably be the Washington experience or the Washington knowledge that Trump really needed and at the time I didn't really understand who Mike Pence really was or what he really stood for but yeah 100% it would have been really worrying if he was actually president of the United States and if he was able to actually um run for re- run for re-election because I think from his more pol- from from having more political experience I think he would have put together a decent fair campaign that would have possibly stood up against the Biden campaign and got those ultra conservatives to come out and vote so yeah definitely yeah I, I agree with you for sure. I mean, look, I don't think Kamala Harris would be a bad president. I just like, if I was like, just looking at the Democratic slate of candidates back in March, she would not be my first pick. But you know, yeah, yeah, not a bad. Think- she's not, she's not as extreme as Bernie or Elizabeth. I'm so happy he didn't pick Elizabeth Warren as his running mate. I think she would have been a horrendous cho- choice for him. She's just, she's first of all, she's too. She's way too far left. And I mean, she's just, you know, I mean, first of all, she'd give him a horrendous, like she wouldn't give him the kind of bump in the polls that Harris did because I mean, people see her as like an old white lady, right? And that doesn't really give you a big bump in the polls when the when your president is an old white man. Exactly. And that's fair. Yeah, one hundred percent. Um, let's move on to why to Georgia's runoff system. I mean it's not often we're seeing election day as January 5th of the next year. You know, that's two weeks away from from the inauguration. But Georgia's runoff system, you know, it's very interesting. And I looked into this recently. And to win in Georgia, you need at least 50% of the statewide vote. And in other words, a true majority. And if no one hits 50%, the top two candidates are, are grabbed into a special, well, runoff election, as they call it. And... The top two candidates battle it out, and whoever wins, whoever whoever wins it gets gets the seat that they're running for, and that's exactly what's happening right now. And little did I know before I looked into this that this system was actually designed to be racist. I mean, in um in the nineteen sixties, America um white 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 politicians in the South were always trying to suppress Demo- suppress black votes and. A way of doing this was to do runoffs because you would often have one black candidate and multiple white candidates that would run for a seat, and the votes among the white candidates would be completely spread out. But if you had just two, just a black candidate and the white candidate running against each other, you'd often have a majority for the white one because often white voters didn't didn't want to vote for the black candidate. I mean, the person who created this, Denmark Groover, 
he proposed after he lost an election by what he called Negro block voting, and he even went on later to point out how this plan was racially motivated. But yeah, it's just something really interesting that I looked into recently, and I feel like you kind of got that. I mean, you got a black, you got Reverend Warnock running against um, running against Senator Leffler, so I guess you kind of got that in a way, but yeah. I mean, I also just looking, like, can you, I kind of see you can draw an illusion here, right? So we have, looking at the racism within the runoff system, we now have a president who on election night went, spoke from his press room and said that we should stop counting the votes right now when the votes were being counted in cities in the, the remaining mail-in ballots were mostly being counted in cities with black and other minority majority populations. So he's basically saying that we should discredit those groups. I mean, he's just, I just see it as such a complete blatant violation of civil rights within our country. And I mean, he's basically saying that people are, these people are unequal to everyone else. So it's basically racism at this point. And I mean, that's not the kind of optics nor the kind of moves that a sitting U.S. president who's, I mean, the leader of the free world should not be setting forth this type of example. Yeah, and I mean, I'm, I would be the first person to point out any democratic failure or a failure to, to withhold the democracy America has been fighting for. But honestly, out of all the evidence I've, I've seen across the media, there's really no real pointing finger at or, or, or um, a smoking gun towards the voter fraud. I mean, if there's not, no, American no voter fraud. I mean, we've had, I mean, in 2016, we saw Donald Trump fight tooth and nail after the election to make sure that John Mueller didn't go, that Bob Mueller didn't go after the Russia investigation, right? And he wanted to make sure that the, he wanted to make sure that the election was absolutely 100% American. And now we're saying that instead of counting all the votes, we should count less of the votes because yeah. these people's opinions are invalid for some reason. Yeah, and that's really unfair. And I mean, I don't see why um, Republicans are unhappy with this. I mean, we understand that that low turnout always affects Republicans in a bad way. I mean, high turnout always reflects Republicans in a bad way. But at the end of the day, they're all um, representatives of the United States of America, and they should be really, really happy that more people are turning out to vote because it gives us, it gives the people, and it gives representatives in D.C. a more accurate depiction of what the country really is like. And I think it's just really, um, you know, from Georgia's runoff system to President Trump's comment, I think it's all being really unfair. But yeah. Yeah. Um, we'll see you guys in part two when we talk about the candidates, a talk about their background, their political experience, what they bring to the table, and much more. So uh, during most podcasts, this is this would be where the ad comes in. Like this, this podcast is brought to you by X or Y. We we have no one like that. We have absolutely no one like that. But if you'd like to sponsor us, please hit us up. Uh, Text us for you can hit us up through email. Our email is somewhere. (laughs) We're yes, exactly. We're we always like money. So if you'd like to sponsor us, please let us know. You know, we're just a bunch of broke high school kids. So at the end of the day, help there us you out. go. Welcome back to part two. So we're going to talk about candidates, John Ossoff, Senator Purdue, Senator Kelly Loeffler, and Reverend Warnock. Then we'll talk about campaigning, early turnout, and polling numbers, and finish off with our predictions and why we want a certain outcome. Uh, Sage, do you want to tell us about John Ossoff? Yeah, um, Ossoff really... I, I really like this guy personally. That's just from personal perspective. Um, he's 33. He's Atlanta native. Um, he first got into politics uh, at the end of 2017 when he was around 31 or 30. And he ran to make um, Atlanta's Georgia's 6th District Blue, which is a wealthy neighborhood in the north of Atlanta. And it's been a red, it's been a, it's been a red um, district for the past 30 years or so. And he was working on flipping it blue, and he came really close to doing so. I mean, he only lost by four points, which was absolutely crazy. And you know, he was mentored by the late John Lewis, um, Representative John Lewis, and 
you know, he was a former congressional staffer uh, on national security issues. And most recently, he's been working with this thing called Inside TWI. Um, Gaunt, you want to explain a bit more about that? Yeah, so Inside TWI was started by a BBC TV reporter named Ron McCullough. So in 2000, he created a film called Cry Freetown, which was a documentary on the account of the Sierra Leone Civil War. So Ossoff met McCullough in his, during his teen years, and he was fascinated by the work because journalism had always been an interest of mine. So Ossoff, um, Ossoff helped work, on the, work with the company and in 2012 became the CEO. So he renamed the company Insight TWI, which stands for Insight the World Investigates. And so Ossoff said, I've, I'm involved intimately in every phase of production, editorial development, field research, asserting the viability of security of production plan and pitching the broadcasters. He's the one who really markets his company's work. He pitches hundreds, he's self-proclaimed pitches hundreds of proposals a year that he's already in production on and that hasn't started yet. And they've done work on all sorts of stuff ranging from a film on sexual sex, sex slaves in Iraq and women who have been taken up to, to up in arms to fight ISIS. It's some really interesting stuff, actually. It's definitely worth going and take a walk, watch. The website's insightpwi.com. Yeah. Ossoff, Ossoff is honestly what I think is the next generation of America. I mean, he's young. He's energetic. I mean, he's good looking, too. Um, he's got an entire simp website, a simp, a simp page on Instagram that's got like 500 followers. <laughs> took a look at it today it's kind of crazy the guy the person the girl that ran it was canadian so maybe not but hey Dave, um, <laughs> you're gonna come back to school and you're gonna have like a john ossoff flag in your room yeah john john ossoff for president 2020 even though it's 2000 i mean we're seeing a lot of these young like kind of up-and-coming potential superstars right we saw beto we saw beto o'rourke now we're seeing john ossoff right yeah except that beto o'rourke looked about he was like 50 or something but hey but, but yeah, I mean, um, he also really symbolized what America, like he was again touted as the future of America, right? He's yeah. a Democrat in Texas, a gay Democrat in Texas. Yeah. 20 years ago, that guy would not have gotten a single word in it the, <laughs> during an election cycle. But in 2020, I mean, US, pol- US politics are changing and yeah. you either have to catch up or be Mitch McConnell. <laughs> I mean, I really think Ossoff's going to go places with his political career. I mean, he's already built up such a fan base. You know, he had John Lewis mentoring him. He's possibly the best guy to have mentor anyone. And, you know, he's he's got a really inspirational story behind him, too. And he, he just is, he's just this kid from Atlanta, and he's managed to run an investigative journalism. I mean, he got heat for... Um, there's this entire NBC um, interview with him getting just the report, the host asking him questions about President Donald Trump tweeting at him in 2017 because he lived two miles south of the pl- of the district he was running for, and he simply responded, he's like, I'm helping my fiance, you know, she's going to medical school, and I'm just supporting her, and you know, he's cool headed, he's smooth talking, he's good looking, he's young, he's he's basically got everything in him to make a run at the presidency in the future i believe i'm looking quite far from here you know he might even win the senate seat and then he's going back to investigative journalism but hey yeah he's he's looking really good he's looking in a really good hand right now but um i mean a lot, of, candid- a lot of people would argue that he is looking pretty good <laughs> his candidate on the other hand his i mean his opposition on the other hand does not look that good let's be honest here Sandra yeah. Perdue, he's the incumbent he's held the seat since 2014 he's the ceo of rebook i mean that just goes to say some stuff you know he's he's a fort it's a fortune 500 company you know he won by 200,000 votes in 2014 though and that's quite a massive margin i believe it was 30 40 points at the time um He's also been investigated for insider trading. Um, talk to me more about that. So, yeah. So right before the stock market crash in March, I believe, due to COVID-19, uh, he had a big sell-off of personally owned stocks. Now, he was cleared of wrongdoing by the SEC, but basically he bought, and furthermore, he also bought stock in a company that, protect, that produces PPE or protective personal equipment the same day that senders, including him, received a classified briefing on the coronavirus. 
So, I mean, while politics aside, that's, that's, that's insider trading, right? So those are definitely some suspect motives. And I mean, CEO of Reebok, that does, that's definitely a serious job and he has serious qualifications, but just looking at some, like the campaign that he's run against John Ossoff has been simply put, not horrendous. It's been, yeah, it's scorched earth campaign. Some of the attack ads have been truly disgusting. Yeah, I mean, he didn't even show up to the um the Georgia Georgia Senate seat debate. I mean, he went to attend the Trump rally, I believe, in Charleston. Yeah, he didn't or something. go. He didn't go to the debates, which I mean, yeah, I mean, he was represented by. That is a move straight out of Donald Trump's playbook, right? We see a president who refuses to concede, and I mean, he's setting the example, right? He's the leader of this nation, so he's he's the leader not only of the three hundred million people who he's setting an example for, but I mean. America is supposed to be a shining pill, a shining beacon of hope for the rest of the world, right? And we're going out and setting this example that our leader is a child who doesn't seem to understand how the world works. Yeah, I mean, they they still went on with the debate. I mean, they just left an empty podium for that. And I think at that point, you know, the, probably the empty podium did a bit more defending than he could have done to Ossoff, you know? Um, Ossoff pointed at the podium. He's, he, he's just like, this is... Basically, what he said was, this is what Georgians are getting. And that was quite powerful, and that was quite strong for me, you know. I mean, on, on the insider trading stuff, I mean, sure, he sold stocks the same day that he got an ins- uh, report from the from Congress, but I think, like, it was quite self-explanatory for any guy, any trader that had a human brain to, you know, yeah, to, uh, to sell off these stocks. I see that as gaming the American people in part, because I mean, look, you're getting told information that other people aren't that's supposed to be used to help your people, right? They're telling you this stuff so that you can get PP to your people. And I mean, Georgia was a co is and wasn't is still a COVID hotspot. And I mean, he instead played the opportunist and looked after his own financial gains instead of his people, right? That is completely fair. I mean, a lot of a lot of senators have had this. I still don't think it's fair that. that I mean, insider um, trading. Insider trading is pretty common. It's not like it's not a good thing, but it's not exactly. It's not a crime you see once in a blue moon. Yeah, that's one hundred percent. And another, you know, insider trading among senators is very often. It's a really hot topic. And another person that has to, that has an insider trading investigation on her is Senator Leffler. The competing in the special election against Reverend Warnock. Talk to me more about her. Yeah, so she was appointed incumbent in 2019 by by Georgia Governor Brian Kemp due to Johnny Isaacson's second seat being, Johnny, sorry, Johnny Isaacson stepping down from his seat for health reasons. So she, self, she self-proclaimed to be more conservative than Attila the Hun, which I just think is an interesting illusion. It's a very... Yeah, I mean, I've seen her comp- campaigning with with white supremacists and former members of the KKK. I mean, it's quite crazy that someone in, you know, Georgia's, Georgia's got a relatively large size city center of Atlanta's and she's still, she's still gaining this sort of support. It's crazy considering, I mean, we've seen interesting, like, I guess you'd almost call them anomalies, right? Because you don't usually imagine, I mean, look at like David Duke, right? Who's an actual member of the KKK who ran for Congress, I believe Congress last election cycle. It's crazy to think that white supremacists can be elected to lead people. I mean, like, it's supposed to be a free and equal country, and they, they've they already stated that they back what they consider one group of people to be superior to all other groups. Yeah, and, like, it goes to her white supremacy still shows. I mean, she's the owner of a WNB team called the Atlanta Dream, and she when the NBA and the WNBA both took efforts to support the Black Lives Matter movement and the vote movement, she wrote a letter to them saying, I quote, I adamantly oppose the Black Lives Matter political movement, which advocated for the defunding of the police to call for the removal of Jesus from the churches and the disruption of the nuclear family structure, harbored anti-Semitic views and promoted violence and destruction across the country. I mean, those are very, very strong words, you know? Yeah. And I mean, we saw, we saw the team wear vote Warnock shirt t-shirts on game day a couple of days ago, right? And I mean, on top of that, she's also she's incredibly wealthy. And I mean, 
I just don't think that she really represents the state, the people of the state of Georgia as a whole. So, yeah, I just yeah. think she isn't a good fit for the state of Georgia due to her beliefs, her practices, and her opinion. Sorry, that's just two things. My bad. I don't know why I said opinion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and Warnock, on the other hand, seems like the type of guy I probably would want as um, representing my my state. I mean, he's a he's a pastor at a at a at a church. Um, he was at the church where Martin Luther King once preached at, and you know he's a he's really strong has national recognition i mean he was invited by obama to the closing to deliver the closing prayer at the inaugural prayer service where a lot of representatives of a lot of different cultures go and pray for the country and the president you know and um you know he's really strong in politics and he he's the type of guy i personally would want as in my senate seat what do you think he's a man who's shown time and time again that he's willing to fight for his people the American people. I mean, in July 2017, he was arrested in front of the Capitol for organizing and taking part in a pre- peaceful protest again, Donald, against President Trump's effort to repeal the Affordable Care Act. I mean, that you never see Donald Trump or Kelly Loeffler or Senator, or Senator Perdue go out and campaign against, like, picket in front of the Capitol. Yeah, I think I think it really sounds like we're just fl- absolutely flaming Republicans here. But I mean, um, me and Sasha are both be a moderate Republican. So yeah, like, Sasha's a moderate Republican. I consider myself to be a centrist slash Democrat, a bit leaning to the left. And like, we're we're definitely both guys that give Republicans credit for what they do. And I certainly su- and I, I support some party going back. The Republican Party now isn't the same as it was. Like I said this earlier, it isn't the same Republican Party it was 20, 25 years ago. I mean, it's really changed for, for worse, in my opinion. And it's become this radical, seemingly like ra- extreme form of you either get on board with the new Republican Party or you're out of the party as, in, as a whole because they just tend, they seem to alienate anyone who isn't directly aligned with President Trump's views. Yeah, yeah, and that and that's like, that's um a part of America that's really led me to, towards supporting the Democrat Party a bit more. Which, although it's not something necessarily I want to do, siding with a different with a certain party, but it's the Republican Party and how it's acted over the past few years and really given me no choice to do so. But that's just my personal political beliefs. I mean, just going off topic just a little bit. I mean, of people like in our grade and people that we know. How many people conform to the traditional party lines, right? How many people are really rep, really believe what the current Republican or current Democratic Party stands for, right? People are weird, are starting to break off and diverge and become like their own. I mean, in a poll in our school, I think it was like 15% of people said they were libertarian, which I mean, 15 years ago, I don't think you'd see that. So I think we're, I think going forward, we're going to see a real shift we're going to have to see a real shift in the parties as it, it starts conforming to the views of new new generations of voters. Yeah. I mean, Georgia's been, Georgia's, this runoff election has been absolutely crazy. I mean, the campaigning is just, I mean, the amount of money um, pro-Republican pro groups has spent, I mean, $180 million on TV advertisements since November 10th. I mean, the Democrats have, have done done quite similar, although not as much. They spent $63 million on these. It's a massive, massive scale for... It's a massive, massive scale for a state that you wouldn't think is uh, the top ranking of America's states, you know? But I don't know. I think those numbers can be a little bit misleading because, I mean, the Democrats aren't exactly they're not cutting down on TV ads. They're just they're getting, I guess, the right thing to say. They're getting more bang for their buck in terms of TV ads. They're better placed. And I mean, while they're not paying as much, they're still getting a substantial amount of advertising. And on top of that, we're seeing both of the Democratic candidates take, take to platforms like TikTok and Instagram, which I mean, the Republicans aren't. And I think that's really a way of connecting with younger generations that are just starting to vote now. And that's really much of what the Democratic Party has believed. I mean, the reason why the blue wave is coming up and the tide is shifting away from the Republicans is that, well, um, they 
Democrats tend to believe what young voters think, and Democrats, and there's more and more of that throughout the country. There's more immigrants, too. I mean, it's not like Republicans are completely helpless within this blue wave. They can do better to connect to people age 40 and under, you know? But, um, but it's it's definitely one of the, it's definitely one of the reasons why this this race is so close. I mean, I mean we look at the polling numbers. Ossoff to Purdue is forty nine to forty, and at that point within where a poll where a poll is in the margin error, it, there's no point looking at it. I mean, Warnock and Kelly isn't much better. It's fifty to forty eight, and both of those are within the margin of error, which means this is going to be a nail biting election until the very end, and no doubt in my mind is our Senator Purdue and Senator Leffler are going to pull the same antics that Trump pulled in November, and is still pulling to this day. Yeah, and Trump will back them on it because. If Georgia falls, Donald Trump has lost the election for real. And so if he, I mean, in a way, him not conceding, you can see why he'd do it. Because if he concedes, he'll just be going against yet again everything that he's been talking about for months now, right? They're saying the election's rigged. I'm not going to stand by the results of the election. So if he concedes out, he'll show yet again that he's just willing to fall right back against his switching values yet again. You know, like, yeah, and I don't think if we had a normal Republican president, like someone that actually had values or someone that didn't take up so much of his time on Twitter, I mean, we'd actually we'd actually have a red Georgia this time out. But the actions of Trump and the act- and and how he's acted for these past four years may be the definitive reason why Georgia's swinging this way. And if Georgia does end up swinging in the direction of the Democrats, it's a clear loss. And it's a symbol and a stamp that the Trump presidency is a complete failure and that they've completely changed the political tide for the rest of the Republican Party to come. I mean, we've seen, right, we've seen a man who's willing to wipe billions of dollars from people's savings with a single tweet and just seems to not, he has no respect for the power that his office wields or the people around him. I mean, he has, I think, just a record number of new appointments like the turnover rate in the trump administration is on a metaphysical level and then after each cycle of turnovers we'll see three or four books from high-ranking former administration officials talking about the sheer incompetence of the man yeah and i feel like and there's one bad thing about um american uh, america and its uh, and its political system that i clearly admit is that there's it's really difficult for a president to, to um, implement a long-term plan. I mean, you've got four years, and you've got four years in your first term, and you you probably spend a whole year just on the road campaigning for your re-election. I mean, that scales down to three years, and it's really difficult to to implement a long-term plan throughout that. And then after after you win your re-election, you just got four more years again to... And that's not enough time, as any political analyst would probably know, to implement long-term plans to fully change a country in a way. And I feel like when you're going at a turnover rate of that much, you're really not making anything, if not a short-term impact, on, on Americans. And he really he hasn't done any good for that either. Yeah, so um, just talking about presidents having to do other, having other obligations, he... Um, he not only played, he played, he spent 127 days at Mar-a-Lago and 86 days at Ben Minister. So in, um, he's cost the taxpayer about $144 million, right? So someone who wants to pay the American people, he's actually taking that money that could have been used for people's stimulus checks and playing golf with it, right? So he's just, he's a president who doesn't seem to comprehend that he's not really helping the American people. He's helping himself. I mean, he gives Jared Kushner, a, I mean, Jared Kushner has led the White House response to COVID and in no way, and in no way is he qualified to do that. Yeah. And, you know, uh, you talk about the books before and I, and I, although John Bolton's book is up for speculation, I really don't think, you know, a man who's had a pedigree and a long career in, in politics i really don't think he has anything that he needs to lie about he's not i don't think i don't believe he's incredibly salty about being fired from president trump's cabinet so i think yeah it's completely real 
these stories are just worrying. But yeah, um, you know, pointing back to your point on vacation dates too, I think I believe he's already taken more vacation days as in total of President Obama's two years in office and just like ten vacation days off um off Bill Clinton's day in office and you don't and vacation days are like days where you in where you're entirely out of the White House but just imagine like you know you don't even count in the amount of hours he spent to golf which I can I can b- believe it's way more than yeah, so any of those numbers. Trump golf count which is a website actually has the total cumulative of hours of golf that he's played at 2,655 hours of, of sorry, yeah, 2,655 hours of golf. You know, when there's a website that talks about how much you've been golfing for, I mean, that, that's just peak at that point, let's be honest here. But yeah, it's absolutely crazy. And um, Trump's and um, the closeness of Georgia results is linking is always going to link back to Trump. And the and are my personal opinions on this on this on this matter are going to link back to Trump too. I mean, personally, I think that Ossoff um that it'd be it'd be great if Ossoff and and Warnock could take the win. I mean, the argument on the other side that um is going to be that you know another party needs to keep one party needs to keep the other one in check. But I feel like. With Mitch McConnell on the field, with the current bipartisan or non or non-existent bipartisanship on on the Hill, I think it's going to be quite difficult for that. And um, a a fifty-one to fifty majority, um, including the vice president's vote, is really although it's it's something on it's not it there, it still means that a lot of stuff is up for grabs and. A lot of stuff is still up in the air in the, within the Senate. I mean, you've got a lot of centrist. You've still got quite a few, ten or if not more centrists within within the within the Senate. So I think it's still there. Ossoff would be a great representation to um the new America and the wave of new American voters that are re- just recently turning eighteen or are recently signing up to vote. And I feel like Warnock would be a really good symbol of, um, what. America and voters are doing about the Black Lives Matter movement that spurred up this summer. Last summer, actually, it's 2021. I completely forgot about that. Yeah, happy new year. Yeah, I don't know. I'm conflicted on this because I feel the, the two Democratic candidates, in my opinion, are clearly, they're clearly the better candidates and deserve to win. I mean, their policy is better. Their, their track record is a lot cleaner in terms of things like insider trading. And I mean, they're more for the people, right? We don't, neither of those candidates has outright declared themselves to be a white supremacist or more liberal than, I don't know. But the Bernie Sanders. See, on the other hand, we see those Republican candidates only comparing themselves to Attila Hun. But I mean, they're running smear campaigns and really I mean, they're comparing these candidates to Karl Marx. And I just think while in, in a perfect world, both these Democratic candidates will win, we need at least one of the Republican candidates to win in order to keep the system in balance. Because you were saying, even though, even if the Democrats have a majority in all three, it can still swing. I just think that as a general rule of thumb, even if it can swing, it's safer not to have the Senate, the House, and the presidency all controlled by the same party because more often than not, you'll see legislation fall in favor of the Democratic Party then. And you need, I mean, you need someone to keep them in check. Just like if you had a Republican majority in the House and you had a Republican president, you want a Democratic Senate to keep them in check. Yeah, that's completely fair. I mean, um, but honestly, though, I think like votes along party lines are so common these days. And I, and not only that, I don't really think um, a rich 70-year-old who's the CEO of a Fortune 500 company or a white supremacist who is the apparently, according to Forbes, actually, the richest member in Congress. Yeah, and her, husband, as re- her husband is the CEO of the New York Stock and chairman of the yeah. New York Stock Exchange. Yeah, I don't think these people are really the accurate representation of a newer America or... Um, or Georgia, as a matter of fact, just to speak to itself, you know, and I gotta disagree with you on that point on the on keeping members in check. I mean, yeah, as I said before, votes on party lines are so often these days that 
is really difficult if you do get I mean if you I mean especially on contra on major legislation it's really difficult to even get these get um get uh any Republican senator or any or any yeah any Republican senator to vote on for example building onto the Affordable Care Act or the Green New Deal or or any Democratic senator to vote on loosened gun reform or even on border wall you know so I I gotta disagree with you on that point but yeah I do completely agree that um the Democrat um the Democrats tend to are looking like more usual people that would probably I would want to be represented by in the Senate yeah all right I think that's that's our podcast for tonight uh we'll be back shortly hopefully by this time tomorrow we should get some of the results in and we should know who will be at least preliminarily who will be the next tenders of Georgia so thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next time on the frick I forgot her name again Um, hold on a second um political idiots no it's something idiots wow this is this is unprecedented what do we say at the very beginning Um, oh um i'm blanking out yeah here i I have it on my phone actually hold on yes um let's go to the podcast informed idiots there you go ladies and gentlemen there you go that really proves how we're actually a bunch of idiots thanks for listening Thanks for listening to our bullshit. Have a great rest of your day.